guys. Welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Today is another fantastic day for an interview because I've got Mike Heinz with me. Mike is a, a man who, like me, has seen the darkness far too close up and has been in it for far too long. And when he transformed himself and when he uh, saw the light, he became addicted to living and living alive in such a way that it maybe brings the light into the darkness of others. And when I saw that, when I, when I realized what this man is about, I thought, hey, I need to have this guy on my show. So, Mike Hines, welcome to my show. <laughs> oh, thank you, Stefan. That was an awesome intro. <laughs> I got to carry you around with me. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we are, we both are, are passionate about our transformation. We both are passionate about the fact that we all can live lives that are worth living. Yet when we're in the darkness, we don't see it. Tell us a little bit about your own darkness. Tell us a bit a little bit about your own your own transformation. Well, hey, you know, I, I do think it's uh, it's one thing to bring that message out to people. It's like, hey, there is another side. There is a dawn. Uh, you can shine brilliantly after. So I love that you have that right in your show. You know, it's all it's everything you're about. Um, for me, it took a long time. You know, the transformation process included a couple decades of psychotherapy. I did so much therapy, I became a psychotherapist. You know, I mean, I was such a good customer. <laughs> you know, I was like, I could do this job. I better do some school and stuff. But, you know. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> But it was really helpful. I mean, I, I did um, really all kinds of things. Uh, actually, you know, moved in with some other therapists who were trying to learn to be therapists. And we, you know, created this little kind of almost community. Uh, so I spent my 20s that way, studying, uh, working a part-time job in a grocery store, um, going to university. And then at nighttime in my spare time, sounds like there isn't any, but I was learning to do psychotherapy and participating in my own process. Which, of and, course, is is such a beautiful baseline from which to work, keeping in mind that that it's very hard. I mean, you you if you have been in the darkness and you talk to someone who hasn't been, you see it a mile away. I can see a you can't bullshit a bullshitter. So mm -hmm. actually, for you to know what you're talking about is is beautiful. Um, may I ask? What led to those 20 years of psychotherapy? What initially actually was the sequence of events that led to it? Yeah, I mean, certainly I had, uh, you know, a pretty standard suburban upbringing, which meant my family was, you know, roughly the same messed up as everybody else on the street. You know, the, the lawns were cut, of course, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, and inside the houses, it got a little weird, you know, usually every week. Um so, you know, I had that. My I'm very Irish background, both sides. My mother was born and raised there. My dad's second generation. So I'm full-blooded Irish. And, um, you know, things were were relatively normal. You know, the alcohol, the all those stories. I know you've had other guests come on here and, you know, their lives ended up on that alcohol track just from that kind of upbringing of what we call, you know, suburban normal. Um, for me, you know, my father had a bit of a breakdown when I was 10 years old, and that was, uh, that was kind of the first glimpse of the darkness. So he got, you know, um, very, very depressed. And he went from being like this superhero in my eyes um, to a man who was really struggling and, you know, facing his own demons. I didn't know this until after I wrote a book, what was really going on for him. And he says, geez, I didn't know you're having a bad time of it. You know, I, I knew I was. And I was like, dad, <laughs> you didn't, you didn't know. No, it's, it's just so wrapped up in what was going on for me. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of, um, they always tell you when traumatic things happen that, you know, some people do well, they have post-traumatic growth, and then some people don't. And that often has to do with earlier experiences, their childhood preparation going into things. When I was 16 years old, and you and I had a you know brief exchange about this, um, I you know before then one of my mom's brothers, um, he was an activist, and he's always be kind of informing us about you know the things happening in Ireland and the struggle for freedom. And um, well, when I was 16 years old, we were watching the news, and we found out my uncle had been killed. And he'd been killed at, you know, what's known as the Milltown Massacre. A man attacked the funeral, 
yes, actually attack the funeral with grenades and a gun. My uncle ran towards the attacker and was shot through the heart and died um, quickly thereafter. Of course, a traumatic event in and of itself. We go to his funeral three days later. So I'm calling, you know, I'm talking here from Toronto and Canada. And um, so let's get in a plane, go to Belfast. At his funeral, I was a reader. You know, I was about 16 years old. Um, as was my mother, my father, my brother are all there. Our extended family and about 10,000 other people. Mm. This was a really big deal. It was really in, in a peak moment of conflict. Two British soldiers drove at high speed past checkpoints and so on in an unmarked car. They were in plain clothes. Um, they drove at high speed towards the funeral procession. Uh, people didn't know what to do. We didn't know if this was another attack. You know, I was thinking like this could be a drive-by shooting. Uh, they stopped because there's just so many um, people there. I mean, thankfully they stopped. Uh, they tried to back out of there. The cars were surrounded. Uh, the young men rushed in. Um, beating on the car, kind of yelling at them, what are you doing? Well, one of them pulled out a gun um, with what apparently was a warning shot. There was no way for us to know that that was a warning shot at that place in time. And when the gunfire was heard, everyone attacked for real. They pulled them out of the car. Uh, they were taken, you know, just a couple hundred yards away, right past us. I mean, they were beaten, um, stripped, and they were executed with their own guns with an earshot. I know that came out fast and your listeners might be saying, what? No, I mean, it's all on Wikipedia. Um, I'd rather you read the version that's in my, my book because it it's, you know, the things that I read online are quite often by people who weren't there. Mm. And, you know, for, for the purposes of that place and time, uh, there was a media spin on things. Um, people there were called terrorists. They were called, you know, um, hyenas or, um, crazed Irish mob attacks innocence. I mean, we came home. And so there was no way to kind of actually process that in a caring environment. We were all ostracized uh, and guilty by association just because we were there, even though in effect, we were the victims. Mm. We were trying to grieve. And it's really hard, that story, because when you look behind the scenes, these were actually uh, plain clothes um, servicemen, uh, English servicemen, um, who, as there are different stories around there of what happened exactly. Absolutely. And that's the, the weird thing. When I tried to look up that massacre, um, I found I was more confused than actually than actually found found the facts. And I think that is the, the the real hard thing. But let's go back to, regardless what happened, why it happened, etc. What happened mm -hmm. for you was you were already in emotional turmoil with a family yep. member having having been killed in mm -hmm. a very dramatic way. There would have been so much emotion just going to that funeral procession, being swept away, I guess also in the moment in the the power of all these people turning up there um so you're you're in this crowd and suddenly there is this new absolute perceived real threat to your life because in your mind it was it and, was yeah and regardless how it then turned out um that threat was still there so if you're ticking through um things uh, sort of likely things that cause PTSD. Well, thank you very much. You're ticking a sort of a, a full house there. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> you would be a weirdo if that would not yeah. uh, leave a mark on you. So, yeah, I mean, it was a sort of event that's that's life altering, no matter exactly. how you, you know, you deal with it, whether, you know, you have the psyche that can cope with this and carry forward intact um, for me, that wasn't the case. Um, I mean, I tried to pretend, you know, certainly that I was fine. <laughs> I mean, I was a young man and, you know. Yeah. Well, exactly. You were 16 then, wasn't it? Yes. It yeah. says yeah. you were just three years older than, than when I had my gang attack. So your, your psyche is anyhow messed up. And it was yeah. the 80s. 
Um, it was uh, PTSD was not really well known. Um, I don't think there, there was a label yet. You know, exactly. I mean, we still had things like, oh, you've got a bad, bad case of the shakes or, you know, if you were in the war, you had <laughs> shell shock. I mean, That's right. yeah. and how do you cure the shakes? Well, alcohol, you know, and then it's, it's touché, touché. exactly. <laughs> it's like you can see where this gets into a bad way Absolutely. Um, all too easily for all too many people. Right. And as it has been for generation before. So uh, it yeah. is you're a classic example. Um, was there any any help within the Irish community? Um, was there any banding together? Were there, uh, when you said you had access to psychotherapy, how did that come about? Where did the help come from? So, um, you know, I mean, we all got back in the plane in my family and, and returned to Canada. And I think for my cousins and aunts and uncles, it was a little different. Um, but it was not at all easy. I mean, some of them received death threats and couldn't live at home and, and all sorts of things, right? Uh, for a period of time. Um, but we were in in a weird kind of way quite isolated uh, because we were the one family on the street that had this crazy experience. It was all over the news. Um, and, you know, I had friends to go to. I had, you know, some good teachers who tried to help, which the help, of course, I refused. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> And what happened is, you know, like I, I did some things that were maybe, maybe not uh, the brightest in some sense. I was at a school that was, you know, helping me academically and I was very uh, athletic and uh, in a tight little community. Well, I left that school and I returned to the school where I had these lifelong friends. And I don't think you could ever um, in, in a certain way describe the value of having lifelong friendships for someone who's a teenager uh, and we tried to do just normal teen things. Now, when I was at school, uh, I had gone from, you know, being second in the math class. I was one year ahead and still second place in the math class to getting a zero on the test immediately after the event. So it was just like things swirling around inside of my head. I couldn't make any sense of it. And that's the math teacher came over to me immediately after. And she says, okay, look at um, I want to help you and support you. You can come and, you know, sit after class and work through this and do the test again. Like, no, no, I'm good. You know, like, <laughs> like a typical teen. So I, I, you know, it didn't happen for a while. And my dad, of course, had been in psychotherapy as were my parents. And, you know, in a, in a very real way, uh, the whole family was traumatized. So there was access to therapy um, unlike most people, even at that time. But this event effectively broke my parents' marriage. It took a couple years to fully unwind, but I mean, neither of them were really the same, nor were they the same with each other. And, you know, all kinds of trust was broken uh, in, a, in a fragile relationship to begin with. It took a couple of years. I go to uh, a friend of my mom's who knew someone who was a guidance counselor because I went from being a star student on her role to, you know, not going to school, missing the bus like every single day. Now that may have just been normal teen or that may not have, I'll never figure it out. Uh, but I wasn't really aligned with life. There's just no other way to describe it. I was in the darkness and trying to wear a smile. I'm sure people can relate to that, you know, and trying to function. And, you know, this, this one lady just said to me, who's the career counselor, she says, you've got to actually just stop lying to yourself and everybody else. I want you to take a course. Um, the only person you're destroying is you. You've got to figure out that this is your life. And by being angry and, and acting out the way that you are, you're only hurting yourself. Like, wow, talk about your verbal two by four. I got whacked across the side of the head. You know? <laughs> a few more followed. I went to that, you know, weekend course. And then I actually got myself into therapy a short time later. Wow. That takes balls uh, for a young man to jump over his shadow. Um, did the, the, the person who you met who ran the course had this person got the charisma to get through to you or what was it that made you accept help in a stage where you're normally full of testosterone and bulletproof uh, and don't need any help how did that come about most young people would probably not go this route 
at least in our generation then. Yeah, you know, I, I think there was um, a very obvious disconnect between my potential and my ability to kind of, I mean, I was getting C's, you know, um, instead of being, you know, I was in the gifted program, I was fully expected to get A's without studying and all those kinds of things were quite normal for me. Yeah. Uh, my career paths were closing, you know, as I was getting towards the end of high school, and I could see it, and I could see it happening. Uh, and my parents could see, you know, I was just not interested in life. And it's like, I, I could feel it. And I mean, I could go out and um, party or do things like that. But even that wasn't um, fulfilling. It wasn't bringing joy. Like there's just so many places I could see in my own life where it wasn't going the right direction. Brilliant. Why did I actually make that step when, you know, I mean, I had, I had other people who I knew who had tragic events by that point in time. They maybe didn't until later. Can't tell you. Um, but I, I had a clue that things were not going well um, and then got a bit lucky, really. True. Right place, right time, right people, you know. <sighs> I'm so pleased for you, man. Um, but you, it's interesting then to hear you saying, well, actually, the next 20 years, I uh, followed a path of healing. It's it's beautiful to actually hear that because many people, especially nowadays, want to have an instant satisfaction. I go once to to a psychologist. I want it now. You come on, man, heal me right now. Mm -hmm. Lay your hands on me. I don't want to do anything, but just just yeah, get me right. Give me a pill. Yeah, that's right. even better. Even better. Yeah, do both. Do both. <laughs> do both. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's, I appreciate the sentiment. You know, that's who the hell wants to spend time doing shit that you don't like? You know, <laughs> in the muck and you know confusion. I know. I know. And it's that is, however, unfortunately, the expectation of of certain of of a lot of people today, and but it was certainly also the same maybe even stronger uh, if, with my parents, for example. I remember my mom in the 70s had, uh, had it went through rough times, but financially I come from sort of the poorer side of, of the tracks. Um, and um, I know mummy's little helpers were well there. The benzodiazepines at that time were readily yeah. prescribed. And I remember my mom having a beautiful whatever Zepam it was uh, at that time, washed down with some wine. And then she sat on the kitchen table and said, oh, I feel so good. Oh, I feel so, ah. Oh. And her life had been quite traumatic, which I didn't appreciate at the time. But mm -hmm. for her, that was the instant relief that she needed. Needless to say, um, she never dealt with her demons till their death. Um, and it's hard to see such an embittered woman passing away with all the trauma that she has. Comparing that now with you and me, who have jumped over our shadows and actually grabbed opportunities to address the darkness in ourselves. When you first got into that course that we can cause there, mm -hmm. what? how did you leave that course? What made you continue? Was there a revelation then? Was there, how did it make you feel? Yeah, I mean, that was uh, a popular in the new age times. It was, of course, called life, life stream. And, you know, I mean, they had things where you, you need eight hugs a day to survive was one of their things. And that was my first introduction to touch. So like, I, I was in an Irish family, you know, you, you get a whack or something. If you want to be touched, it's like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right. None of this affectionate stuff after you know five years of age or some some kind of thing. Like no more nonsense like that. And so I wasn't um, well as a as a person. I'm actually very affectionate and respond to you know light touch. I found that even much later, uh, it was foreign to me. So I think that was one component is, is you know actually being uh, having received caring touch. That was one thing that really kind of cracked me open. And then there were these all these other things of, um, you know, really kind of just mindset shifts um, that they were teaching and framing. And I know that there was like just little simple things. One was, you know, you can have a bad feeling, but you don't have to have a bad day. Beautiful. Now, that had never, ever occurred to me. Yeah. 
if I woke up feeling bad in my family, everybody that I knew in the whole street, you know, that would mean you're now having a shit day, which is leading towards a shit month and a shit life. And that's just, you know, and then you die. And there wasn't any kind of um, awareness that, no, no, this is just a feeling. And if you spend a few minutes, you feel it, it passes, whether it's a good feeling, a bad feeling, an anxious feeling, a depressed feeling. There's some sensations, some of them are uncomfortable, some of them are joyful, but they pass, the ride is over, and you can move on with your day, and you get better at it, and you can be quicker at it, and you can function at a high level more often. That was mind-blowing. Uh, that's cool shit. That's cool shit now that I believe in eight years after getting sober. I believe in because I'm now in my 50s and I've gone through a lot of bullshit in my life. Um, yes, for me now to accept it and run with it. That's cool. That's I'll, I expect it to a certain degree. I don't expect it yeah. from from uh, a young man um, shortly after some very traumatic events um, in within the the time frame of a week um or of a weekend course so okay this is cool you well had... and, but i mean like you're saying though you know was it a was it a weekend cure and life was good all of a sudden no there was like a, <laughs> the next week crash of course right it's like oh now i have to do so much work you know all okay. oh, these feelings they told me it's like that okay. idea yeah. um of course is perfect but when you're used to living a whole life in the muck, you know, for the past few years and maybe being set up to do so ahead of time, um, there's there's a lot of shoveling to be done before, you know, it's a clear path. <laughs> oh, goodness. Hell yeah. How did the story continue? I mean, here you were as a, as a, as a teenager struggling um, to to be get academically back on the horse. Um, did you manage to? Or how did you leave school? Yep. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I got through high school kind of barely. Um, the talents plus some finally hard work and, and applying helped. Um, but it wasn't easy. You know, I, the setbacks would really set me back. I didn't really have a solid foundation at that point in time. And I just needed to keep doing work and keep kind of restarting. Um, you know, shortly thereafter, first girlfriend that was amazing then we broke up I crashed again um that's what I mean you know like setbacks really set me back you know? <laughs> interesting back then interesting right. and wow. that's where you know the therapy really started to take effect were there any bouts of prolonged sadness or was it just reactively low mood were you cycling higher than other people Cycling, I'd I, mean, say, I, don't, I don't mean cycling here on a bike. I mean, actually, you no, cycle no. through mania and yes, I feel good. I love life to, oh, I want to kill myself. Um, <laughs> though, did those swings happen with you? It wasn't, um, it wasn't so much the swings, but I would say I spend more time down than your average person. Interesting. Um, I would, you know, at one point, um, I was definitely, definitely depressed. I remember, you know, we lived near this uh, subway station. I was now out on my own living with friends and some in the university phase, but I used to dread going out because I knew I'd have to come back on the subway and I'd have to get up those three flights of stairs and three flights of stairs was unbearable. And that was enough to keep me in bed some days. Just the thought that I'd have to deal with those three flights of stairs later was unbearable. And, you know, I remember talking to another person. He's like, yeah, you know how I got out of my depression? He's like, I, I just made a commitment to myself to put on my socks. <laughs> and, and he says, because by that time, you know, it doesn't feel good to be go back in your bed. You've got socks on. It's not comfortable. And I really understood because I'd had a phase in my life several months where I was like that. Now, I was mostly functional. And this is my early 20s, but I was absolutely depressed. you were doing active psychotherapy throughout that time absolutely and thank thank goodness really you know i mean at that point in my life i was uh doing a one-on-one -on -one session you know every week every other week and then a weekly group 
And, you know, soon after I started to look in, you know, it was after I'd gotten through the depression, I'd start to get the sense that, okay, I can do this and make it stick long term. My life is actually in my own hands. Like I'm um, a participant, not just a victim, where I have some say in how I feel long term in what kind of success I may meet. Uh, and how I deal with the circumstances of my life. Um, I was working in a grocery store. I had not much money. Uh, you know, I had to pay rent. Uh, the scholarship things that I should have had a chance at, they all went, you know, far, far away through my own actions and inactions. Um, but I, I had a path. Did you feel like a failure then? Did uh, you feel failure... like a victim? Oh, my inner victim, absolutely. Failure was um, like an ongoing feeling for years and years. And really reconciling that took a long time. But you were and sinful? Oh, for sure. You know, all of that victim mindset um, was bubbling underneath the surface. And so for me, it was it was one of these things of how do I actually... Um, kind of make what I know in my head because I was reading books voraciously. That never went away. That was like a coping mechanism. Mm. And it paid off, you know, um, reading books like Campbell and Carl Jung and, you know, um, a lot of the new age stuff and things like Jonathan Siegel. And, you know, mm. some were very simple, some were, some were fiction as loving science fiction um, philosophy so that all helped, but actually kind of getting that to live in my heart mm. took longer. Huh. Right. And then actually knowing it so that every single cell of my being knew that I was alive and started to radiate. And then I tell you, when you when you cross that line, uh, the universe changes. You're suddenly cooperating with the universe and it's cooperating with you. And people come up to you in the streets and, and ask you, it's like, how did you do that? How are you looking so good today? What's going on in your life? And it's like, well, no, I'm just, <laughs> I just got out of bed and I'm feeling this way. Um, but very different than kind of being targeted, being, uh, you know, early on, I, I could manage, you know, I could manage to find a fight in a bar. I never did fight, but it would just be like people would find me and the eye contact would be confrontational. And, and that was just everything that was inside of me. I was just ready to battle, as it were. Now, I didn't after maybe 13, 14 years, you know, ever get in a fist fight, but um, I was given off the vibe until I turned it around. And no surprise, <laughs> you've had chronic fight and flight. You were chronically, um, well, let's go through the, where you, let's go through the symptoms. Uh, were you hypervigilant? <laughs> Did you actually oh, show... Yeah. The, the signs and symptoms of PTSD? Yes, of course. So um, I had absolutely hypervigilance. Um, for, for anybody who's kind of watching us on YouTube here, you can see my shoulders, I'll just explain. They were up like this all the time. So the musculature on my back um, was raised up. So if you lift your own shoulders, try and get them kind of to attach to your ears, you feel that, you know, right down in the glutes, you're no longer properly sitting on the chair. I was elevated and in a kind of a stuck fear response. So I was, I was walking around that way, you know, for a good five, six years until, you know, again, a therapist says, you need to get a massage, you need to get your body to start cooperating, you know. <laughs> and, and I almost felt like I was, um, I had a blackness that was stuck in me. And I mean, it would have entered that day at my uncle's funeral, like it just, it just stuck, I got stuck in um, what we'd kind of call the startle response, if you were to look at that, that's how I felt and, and often looked. Were you tempted to then become physically a, a different version of yourself? I mean, for me, I got drawn to martial arts, uh, like like a moth to a flame, and because I never ever wanted to be in the position of a victim. I wanted to be the fighter. I wanted to be a Rambo. I turned into Rambo. Um, was there an equal path for you? You know, it's really interesting. I was uh, terribly frightened of physical contact. And 
yet I was, I was a very physical person. And so, you know, that one course, it's like, it gave me a clue. I liked being hugged, huh? You know? Um, and it wasn't until after I got a massage. And then in particular, I, I received a cranial sacral therapy session and it was like, I had this almost, uh, you know, I'm sure it's an exaggeration, but it was like an enlightenment experience. You know, I could feel at home in my body and it was it was as if you know my field of vision went from you know the, like a tunnel vision into I could see this whole range and the world opened up. Well, physically, of course, it was opening up because I was coming out of hypervigilance and I was coming into a relaxed, natural state. You know, but it was like mind altering for me. That's right. I mean, you, you someone switched on your parasympathetic nervous system with that precisely. So, which is the opposite to the fight and flight, which is the system that you need to heal, the need to, uh, to that helps you to make sense of the world. Um, and you you had been in the adrenaline yeah. all the time. Yeah, and now, I mean, roller coasters and things like that, adrenaline junkie for, for you know, for thrill-seeking and all those kinds of things as well. Um, finding that body work changed everything. I decided I have, to, I have to go and learn what this is. I have to learn all about it. I have to learn how to do it. This is fantastic. You know? Ah, okay. Now, so I pursued, I, I pursued body healing, hands-on healing much the way you pursued martial arts, yeah. right? Interesting. Yeah. So that was your outlet. For years there. and years. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. But what about the alcohol? I mean, here you were born into a drinking family and, and at, a, at a time when drinking was absolutely part of life. Um, yeah. How, what did the alcohol do to you? Did it, when you drank, what actually happened? Yeah, this is a, a good question. So, um you know, I'd say different things at different phases. Uh, you know, I'm 16, you know, 17, we're certainly looking around for places that would serve us. It's the age of drinking is 19, where I am in Ontario. Um, so there were there were spots at that time that didn't care so much about ID. And gained a bunch of weight, you know, like, like that early phase of, you know, wanting to numb, wanting to turn off, uh, definitely, definitely happened. And then, you know, back in school and I let up a bit or a lot, I never got in deep trouble with alcohol, but it didn't mean I had a healthy relationship. Um, you know, You're I was lucky I, that you didn't get the dopamine rush that so oh, gives you that, that peace, at least for yeah. a fraction of a second. I know, I know when I've talked to people, um, you know, uh, I eventually worked in, you know, high end addiction treatment center. And I said, okay, well, there's a difference. So there's different models like the A model and uh, behavior modification. People say, oh, I don't drink much. Like, okay, well, like, are you having a glass of red wine to go with your steak because it enhances the meal or is something else happening? And, you know, invariably, be, oh, no, there's something else happening. Mm. Uh, and so for me as well, you know, sure, there would be something else happening. Would it be mood altering? Absolutely. Would I seek it for relief? Absolutely. Um, you know, would I would I have cravings? Absolutely. I think I have the good fortune of just not having um, kind of that need where it's, it drives me over and over and over. Um, it's beautiful. But, beautiful. I, but I really appreciate it because, you know, again, you know, at different places in my life, if I went through the AA pamphlet at the, in the back of the book, it'd be check, 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 check. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay. Interesting. So fast forward now, you're living now a very different life. You had a life of, of working on yourself, yet the psychotherapy that you had for many, many years is unfortunately known to be not a very fast and maybe efficient kind of treatment system. Mm -hmm. It takes bloody time and money mm -hmm. because all these sessions cost money. Um, did it, when did you first realize that actually there are different ways out there? I mean, you already were there at psychotherapy to start off with. Then you felt the power of touch and healing, uh, and became a more maybe physical aligned, uh, person, mm -hmm. uh, when it came to healing practices. Um, how did that story continue? Yeah, that that became an interest. So um, what I actually ended up doing my my kind of undergraduate projects on were dreams. 
And so I went and actually went to conferences, their International Study of Dreams. Um, it's, a, it's a group and I went to their conferences and I was one of those people who would have these rather epic dreams. Jung would refer to them as grand dreams or, you know, other people say archetypal dreams. So my inner life was a major part of my healing. And it was a major part of my kind of regular life up until the age of 10 or so. So that came back. And, you know, this is how I kind of get into my book. I had these, you know, coincidences and serendipitous experiences. And I would meet people, sometimes a taxi driver, sometimes a bookstore owner. And they would give me a kind of a clue as to, hey, buy this book or, hey, go go to this place or, um, you know, the the dreams intersecting with these coincidences became a kind of a guiding force in my life. And this is something that, you know, people say, well, that's not rational. Like, didn't you just like look up online? Well, there was no online. Well, wasn't there a manual, you know, you could follow? And it's like, yeah, but I wasn't too good at following the manual. I was very good at following this very intuitive kind of, you know, right-brained <laughs> um, spiraling path that led deeper and deeper. And so, you know, dreams and, and by going to these conferences, it, it exposed me to some people who were really in all walks of life, but many, so some were academics, some were, you know, martial artists, uh, some were, you know, yoga practitioners, some were psychotherapists, psychologists, uh, psychiatrists. That was my first um, exposure into kind of uh, the wider world and, and different varieties of how the healing path may look and also how you might shape a life. You know, as hanging out with a whole bunch of book authors and people that were top in the field, and, you know, just having meals and sharing stories and sharing dreams and, and finding myself completely at home, which was something that was missing for a very long time. Having that incident being in my body and my experience the way that I was, I didn't feel at home. And then I met a whole bunch of people where I just instantly did. And so I learned, okay, so there's more people like this in the world. I just have to find them. Uh, okay, beautiful. When when did that happen? Now, in relation to modern technology, we're we're about um, in my late twenties at this point. Okay, still no internet. Uh, still no, no. It was uh, <laughs> shortly easy. to find these people. <laughs> hey, good luck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at least you were in Toronto. You were in a, in a, in a large town where you had. I was in a large resources. city. Yeah. And so there that's... was there was places like the Omega Bookstore. Um, there was a New Age Center. There was one in Mississauga where I grew up. There were there were some kind of bookstore central points um, that you could find these things. And then the internet does come along, you know, just a couple of years later. I remember these conferences exchanging emails with people and thinking this was the coolest thing in, in the world, you know. <laughs> Indeed. And then suddenly yeah. it becomes far more accessible to you. And you, therefore, it's like an explosion of resources that become become available and that you can tap into. Um, but I think throughout your whole story, I see a man who is willing to take opportunities to take action and follow something you were able to be infused despite fluctuating levels of happiness um mm -hmm. you were able to to see opportunities and willing to play with them and that is that is very very commendable because certainly this kind of staunch Irish Catholic macho kind of thing, that would have been powerful enough to stop anyone in his tracks. I mean, you sissy, what are you reading that for? Kind of a thing that the macho. What are you reading for? Not that. What are you oh. reading for? <laughs> oh, okay, go one step back. Um, so how did you deal with that? Because that would have been ingrained in you from an early, early stage. So there were, there would have been this core belief within you. A man has to be a man. Um, there were certain, certain, you know, things that a man must do or mustn't do. So how did you deal with that? You know, that's one of those things that, in fact, doesn't go away. You know, when you know 
when you know enough about core beliefs to to kind of uh, and you can really look at yourself in the mirror uh, there's days where you wake up and that voice is there that right. that you know kind of uh, judgment of you know you're not yet a man or how could you do this a real man wouldn't um, like in in those days you know Clint Eastwood was you know dirty Harry and then he was unforgiven and I mean so it was it was all these kinds of things we had Rambo you said Rambo I mean Rambo was a role model for um, most of us who were teens at that point in time exactly now is that a good healthy way to to live no there's a man who effectively is operating with PTSD and unleashes a holy hell um on a bunch of people who didn't know better i mean that was not a good way to make the world a better place but that lives inside my psyche absolutely (laughs) right absolutely and so to to not go down the rage path because you know again you're saying core beliefs well i have a very short fuse as it were and so part of this lifetime would be you know not so much mania on that side as this like a depression rage would be my emotional kind of negative landscape and not to succumb to those demons and to learn over time um, there's a lot of power in rage right you, you do want to somehow try and channel it into building a deck and not going on to some kind of you know <laughs> some kind of crazy spree you know love it love it absolutely love it um sometimes anger especially when it is filled with resentment uh when you feel victimized again and add a bit of catastrophizing on top uh you see the world in a very 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 different light and it is so easy to lash out to then have the power of choice to give yourself that that moment of calmness to say okay i'm so angry today let's do something about it in a healthy way now that is gold okay mm-hmm. wow many young and men i mean i was can't do i that. was so lucky yeah, yeah i was so lucky to to you know have a early exposure to things like meditation where you can you know effectively down regulate for yourself and have some early exposure to um you know body shape mm-hmm. and i think we kind of touched on this as um you know, when we walk around and we're feeling in the victim state, you know, we'll have our head lowered, our chest is co- usually kind of collapsed. And so, you know, that that born loser, there was a comic strip uh, when I was growing up, and you could just see that a cloud would be over his head. And everybody kind of knows what that looks like. Mm. But to actually kind of feel in your own body that, okay, my chest, I can raise just a little bit, my shoulders, I can drop down, I can take a deep breath. I can, you know, kind of loosen up this, this kind of thing that happens in in my forehead in between my eyes and Mm. soften my eyes so that I can change my own state and change my own shape and then look at the world as it is. Mm. It doesn't have to be rosy, just see it for what it is. And then that becomes a starting point. Some days it's going to be a hard day. I'll do some work. Some days it's like a play day. It's sun is shining. Like go live it and enjoy it. Very different than the permanent mindset that I was kind of raised in. You know, like the world's a hard place. Uh-huh. You know, um, uh-huh. killer be killed, dog eat dog. I had a lot of those messages <laughs> growing up. Uh-huh. Like you kind of kind of hinted at. They were all true. Tough was tough was of value in my family. Uh-huh not kindness not curiosity no, it, was, it was be tough because the world was hard and it was for our parents and yeah. it is in fact out there let's be clear about that this is we are not two rosy colored hippies in our orange <laughs> saris running around singing kumbaya no 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 that is not working like that um mm-hmm. life is a bitch um But even when there are extreme challenges around us and sometimes within us, it's still the privilege of choice. Um, You can get completely sucked up into things or you can actually step back for a moment and make a choice of either believing what, for example, your mind tells you, what Mm. the wave of emotions tries to feed you as facts. Or you can say, well, actually, 
I, I figured out a few ways how I can switch off the, the, the adrenaline and uh, maybe wait for a few moments. Let me just go to the toilet for a moment and basically do some breathing exercises and then come yeah. back and now read that email again. Um, actually, is it really a death threat? <laughs> I need to kill someone. Or no, actually, maybe they were right. You didn't do your best work. And that, that constructive yeah. criticism that is in the email is actually could actually be very helpful. <laughs> so, you know, it is, we have got choices. Uh, yeah. And it's a privilege to 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 have these choices. Uh, we are not um, Pavlov's dog. We are not someone brings the bell and an and emotion starts. Uh, well, let's put it like that. I think we there, can be, though. Yeah. That, that, we, I was about to rephrase that. You're quite right. We, it still happens. The emotion mm -hmm. still comes. But if we want to believe it, if we want to act on it, on this emotion or on this, this, this core belief that it's just been triggered, that was laid down when you were four, and which might actually no longer be so valid uh, in your new life um, as a grown-up, maybe that is where we need to start working. And that's where we indeed are, are have powers that, when harnessed correctly, make us superheroes. And that's exactly yeah. the title of your book, isn't it? So Indeed. you <laughs> you actually you actually decided <clears throat> now, okay, I've got I've gone through so much shit. I've gone through so much different treatment options. Let's actually put that all together. Let me actually explore that and come up maybe with a system and maybe with an approach, maybe with a way of providing insight that can help others. And that's sort of the beautiful, that's the that's a step 12 in, in the AA program when you start giving back to others. When did that yeah. happen? When did you transform from a, a man who was still working on himself towards now more a man who thinks, no, actually, I've got an intrinsic value through all the shit that has happened to me that I now want to share that with others. How did that come about? Well, you know, I'd say it's more about ratios. Um, so I think, you know, kind of post-trauma was 100% in the shit and the, the, the trauma and 0% in the, you know, using my gifts and being self-aware and, yeah. and kind of connecting. And then over time, that, that shifts. Um, and of course, you know, life is a bitch. You know, bad things have still happened. But, but how I respond to those things now is completely different. It's like, okay, I need a minute. And it used to be, you know, a minute would not cut it for me. I had an, I had the, the style of anger. It's like, okay, I better go walk around the block. Mm, nope. I better go block around the city because I'm still angry. And it's right. Like, right. So, okay. so like, I really appreciate, you know, when, when people say it's like, I, I'm overwhelmed by this emotion. It's like, yeah, yeah, I get you. I like, I, I know what that's like. It took me days and days and days sometimes before I could see the wisdom in what somebody else had said to me and given me feedback, you know, like on a, on a test paper or something, you know, it's like, this is wrong because, uh, and small things like that could set me off. And I would say nowadays, um, the proportion of time is, is radically different. You know, for the past couple of years, I've been an executive coach. I wrote the book about one year ago. Um, so it's a much bigger percentage and I'm much more out there in the world, you know, even when as a therapist, uh, I got to be very good. I was teaching others to be therapists, um, you know, a couple of decades doing it. But my impact was kind of limited. It was one-on-one, -on -one and I never really went outside my own office. It was actually one of my clients that said, dude, like, you have to get the word out. Like, you really helped me. You helped me more in three months than, you know, five other people helped me over the last 15 years. And I paid them more than you too. He says, you got to fix your business model. You got you to get your word out there. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. That was a good, I mean, it's, good client. It was a really good client. You know, that I, you know, if I had kept him any longer, I would have had to start paying him consulting fees and stuff. You know, it's like, and he was among my first coaching clients, you know. Um, so I think that did draw a different kind of person to me as well. Um, so it, it was... You know how I was saying earlier about how life starts to cooperate with you when you cooperate with it? Yeah. I was evolving. And so the people that were coming to my office were actually quite different also. Mm. And so the feedback that I was getting and the people that I was meeting and ever since the people that I'm meeting are, are extraordinarily kind of difference makers. They are 
building impact. And so a world is opening up to me continually day by day. Yeah. I get to have conversations like people like you. Like, this is awesome. That was not available to me 20 years ago. I was too busy telling people to F off half of the time. <laughs> so true. So freaking true. I mean, exactly. But whose fault was that? That was me, you know? <laughs> that was me being close to possibility. True. So true. But, oh, please, it is. Oh, there's so much to be said about that from the the the... Oh, the misguidance of youth um, where we all think we have to do it all ourselves and even nowadays for crying out loud I've got two young men one is 20 21 the other 21 so both of them they have seen me at my worst and they have seen my growth um, over the last eight years do they still want to do to make their own mistakes? Hell yes. <laughs> do they still uh, <laughs> listen to me? <laughs> they never did. They probably never yeah, why start now? <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. <laughs> Having said that, both of them are growing into versions <clears throat> of myself, and they have got a very good emotional insight now to see that, <laughs> that they are turning into me, much to their disgust. Um, yeah. So <laughs> it, is, it is one of these things. So when we're young, we, we, I guess we need to spread our wings. We need to make our own experiences. So mm -hmm. whilst it is so sensible to have power teams for us now, as when you're young, it's very few people have got the emotional maturity to actually accept the guidance and accept the, 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 accept the fact that they want to be the dumbest person within their team so that they can rapidly grow by aligning themselves with people who are better in certain other aspects of their life. Mm -hmm. So there's always mm -hmm. that, that I have to prove myself. And if you can just beat that shit out, beat that shit out of people now. I mean, see, just the choice of yeah. words that yeah, I'm yeah. using shows that some of the, the thought models that have been laid down deeply inside of me. Um, mm -hmm. It's interesting. It is. So this is an ongoing path of change, of healing, of growth. I think we we all need to recognize that as an opportunity, not as a curse, uh, not as something. Oh God, now I have to grow again. No, actually, yes, I've just fucked up. I can yeah. grow again. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's a big deal, you know. People say to me, "It's like, oh, do you really believe that?" You know, it's like, okay, how about how about your uncle's funeral? Is that a good thing? It's like, yeah. okay, look, it. There's nothing good about it. Uh, was it life altering? Yeah. If you'd asked me at the time, was I happy it happened? Was I happy about how my life was altered? Was I no? But with the wisdom of what I have now, with how I can see how I lived a very unconventional life, like I made very different choices than, than my whole friend circle in so many ways by pursuing all these healing arts and then going that way. Um, I'm deeply grateful. Like it actually opened me to, to you know, that world of mythology where that was effectively um, how our ancestors transmitted wisdom from one generation to the next. Mm. And, you know, we had these circles that were not just kind of uh, on a peer level or on a, you know, like uh, I belong to masterminds every now and again, I'll join one or something like that. Not just in that level, but from ancestor to, you know, mm. the next generation down to the next generation where there was, you know, sure, you're going to go make your own mistakes. You're going to go be a young warrior, you know, like your boys are doing right now. And you're going to go, you know, like <laughs> paint somebody else's hand with the blood from your nose or something wonderful <laughs> like that, you know, like <laughs> yep. claim victory, you know, but, but also kind of have a way of saying, all right, where, how do I make something out of this experience? How do I actually digest my own experience? Yeah. And that's where the elders would come in. The context of the mythology would come yeah. in yeah. and time, you know? So for me, am I grateful that I've lived this path now? Yes. Because of who it's allowed me to become because effectively, you know, emotionally I had to lift these terribly heavy weights that I couldn't at the beginning, yeah. you know, but when you do lift weights, your body will grow, you know, provided you're not, you're not doing damage. And if you go to the gym every day, emotionally, you get stronger and stronger and stronger. And my life, you know, who I am, how I walk in the round in the world, the vibe that I kind of transmit, it shows. Mm -hmm. People can hear it in my voice. They look at my posture and it's like, they can just say, okay, 
that guy figured something out. Mm -hmm. They don't know what necessarily, but I'm now transmitting a different energy. So true. So true. Ah, there's so much we could we could talk about here, and it is so beautiful. Yeah, I think we're like, just getting warmed up. But we I know, isn't it? Isn't it? We can we can save it too, you know. <laughs> Keep okay. everyone in suspense, <laughs> guys. This is going to be volume two and volume three. <laughs> I think Mike is not the last time here on my show. It's just sort of a, a little inkling that I've got here. Mike, look, let's come, let's 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 circle back to your book because I yeah, want yeah. you. Have you got a copy? I want you to Absolutely. show us. There it is. The myth-guided myth mind. mind. Unleash your God-given genius at work and at home. God-given yeah. genius. Are you still believing in God after all that shit that's <laughs> happened to you? Are you a Catholic? Are you? Are you? I'm. I'm not practicing religion, and you know there was a period of time where I didn't believe in anything. I I took a religion minor in university, and believe it or not, I was taught by a Marxist. Um, so I learned, you know, effectively everything about religion that was about power and control. And that's where I was at. You know? Excellent. Um, so when you say God given, this is not that you are a religious man. This is not a religious book. It's not at all a religious book. There is, you know, three definite, you know, classic myths in there. So you, you will have that, um, you know, as far as where I stand now. Yeah, I certainly believe in something um not exactly not exactly in line with what local parish priests might tell me but yeah um I, I i think you know i've had in a very real way some experiences that reveal the mystery and wonder of life mm. and i allow myself to line with that and i certainly think you know the people that wrote all these books were, were having these mystical experiences of their own and they 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 wrote them down mm. um you know i I think there's more to life than certainly what the rational mind would tell us. Mm. So I'm very firmly over there in that camp. Um, who knows about the rest? Exactly. And I absolutely agree with you. And that's a beautiful thing because we both have exposed ourselves to uh, different healing practices. And there are certain things when you experience them the first time, you think bloody hell, like the craniosacral um, healing you're I mean you could you could go into the religious way of the power of of secluding yourself somewhere into a cloister and and doing deep deep prayers and and, and really engrossing yourself in that it's a form of meditation just with Jesus Christ sort of thrown in for good measure yeah. um, as far yeah. as I'm concerned so there are different ways how we all can go about achieving the same thing bringing peace and quiet and serenity for a moment into us so that our body actually can say thanks for that okay now let's look around how can we heal what's the next thing that is best to be addressed and mm -hmm. when you actually do that when you actually learn to stop for a moment your body comes up with the right answers often enough without you having to try very hard suddenly the solution to a problem is just there and before that you couldn't see it and now suddenly yeah but it's like you know the dance moves suddenly and it's yeah. not like something you're figuring out you know exactly and it's beautiful. yeah yeah oh man um where can we get your book awesome Oh, the book is available on amazon.com.ca, you know, wherever you happen to be. Fantastic. Um, it's an easy download. And if people want to know more about you, where can they find you? Oh, so michaelhines.ca, uh, last name is spelled H-Y-N-E-S, not like the ketchup. So michaelhines.ca. Um, social media, most active on uh, LinkedIn. Yeah. And uh, that, hopefully that's in the show notes or you can look me up. It's pretty easy. And I'm also available on Instagram and um facebook but those those i don't use a whole lot you can find me yeah. which is cool and you're quite right yeah. mike down there look into the description of the youtube video and the podcast and whilst you're down there press the like and the subscribe button and that little bell there which does basically gives you notifications every time i release another show um which happens twice a week uh on average and when i say on average often enough it's off more often because I, I have got such beautiful, beautiful guests on my show where sometimes 
don't want to wait. <laughs> Sometimes I say, nah, well, yes, it, you should be now in October in your release date. And I said, fuck it, nah. No, 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 this is no, no, no. I can't just sit on that, that wealth yeah. of beautiful information that is coming out. So no. So guys, check it out. But more importantly, check out Mike. This man has been um, through the ringer and he has transformed. And that is a beautiful thing to see. And he is now helping others to exactly achieve that become the superheroes that is a, they deserve to be and that's that's a, a wonderful mission that he is on but that comes from being a victim to being a survivor to being now a thriver so there has been there have been two transformations that happened in his life uh, mm -hmm. which now gave him the power to go out help others and that is that is wow so mike i'm very very grateful that you came onto my show um any parting comments any any kind of uh nugget of wisdom one thing that that you could one leave one message maybe that you could leave my audience with you know i think i just uh as i did that i took a deep breath and i would say maybe join me in that like just for a second take a deep breath all the way in hold it at the top and let it go and then take a step forward beautiful see, sometimes sometimes just that one action it's like that little butterfly effect it takes you just that little bit different path that starts to lead to something better <laughs> i could not agree more mike i could not agree more mike hines a fantastic guest thank you so much for being guest on my show and you guys out thank there you. look after yourself and live with passion Bye.